Praise the Lord. Um, I just wanted to remind us <clears throat> um, in the event that you haven't heard um, that I record these. Um, if you wondered why you hear this monotone lady every <laughs> every week, it's because uh, I, I put record so that I can upload to YouTube and um, <clears throat> so I can also upload to uh, Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. Um, <coughs> that way, if, in, if you haven't already subscribed, um, like and comment below. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> but if you haven't subscribed or subscribed already and you can't make it a week, you can... Uh, <laughs> you can... Um, you know, <laughs> isn't that what you always see on Instagram? Let me know what you think below. Subscribe and like. <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. You tell me every time you make a video. Um, <clears throat> no, but if you if you can't make it a week, you can go back and um, listen to it or watch it there. Um, <coughs> and. If you want to, you know, feel free to share it with your friends or family. Um, feel more than welcome to do that. Um, but with that said, let us get into the word. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the word of the Lord says in Psalms that the word of God is uh, tried seven times. It's it's uh, it's like gold, right? Refined seven times. <clears throat> now, you know, you want to know why? Um, it says that it's not because the word of God has any impurities, right? Because the purpose for refining gold is to, you know, eliminate the dross, eliminate the impurities. Excuse me. We have, we as human beings, we have to be refined more than seven times because we have much impurity, right? <clears throat> we have a lot of things that we need the Holy Spirit to bring out of us, to cleanse us from and to... Um, and guess what? Refinement doesn't come unless, you know, you get put through the fire. Amen. And that seems to be the very thing we always pray God to help us to avoid rather than to help us to get through. <clears throat> Amen. So some, some of these situations that you may be going through, um, God isn't delivering you, not because God doesn't care, but God is keeping you because he cares. Amen. <clears throat> because without trials or tribulations, we will fancy ourselves. We will convince ourselves <clears throat> that we're more humble than we are, that we're more obedient than we are, that we are more loving than we are. <clears throat> Amen. When in all actuality, um, you know, everybody here would raise their hand and say, I have faith right? Otherwise, why would you be joining a Bible study? You may not have the faith you would like, right? But you would say that you have faith. <clears throat> but do you really have faith? And the only way you will tell is if you endure a trial. What is the purpose of a trial? Is to determine whether or not you believe, right? Where God is wanting to examine to see if you have enough faith, if you have a sufficiency of evidence to convict you guilty of being faithful. And faithfulness and faith is not separable. 
<clears throat> to have faith is to be faithful. So if someone is faithless to God, if someone is faithless to anything, it cannot be said that they have faith. Amen? You know, it's it's like the people who say, <clears throat> you know, I'm humble, right? And and by the way, it's not a pri- proud thing to say that you're humble. Because even Moses, is, Moses writes in the scriptures that Moses was the most humble man. <laughs> so he wrote the five books of the Bible, uh, the, the, the law, right? And in it, the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on earth. So it's not proud to say that it's not prideful to say that you're humble. In fact, it may very well be prideful for you to say, oh no, I'm not humble. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just this proud person, right? Because that sounds humble, right? Admitting to uh, this just hyper sinfulness, like, no, no, I can't do anything good, right? And, and using, abusing verses in the scriptures of talking about the sinfulness of man as if you can't do anything right. <clears throat> you know, because a lot of times people do that stuff to seek for attention. Because they want to get feedback and tell them, oh, you're not as bad as you think you are. Right? And, and or, you know, people say, oh, I can't do it. Or, you know, and I don't mean to belittle anybody here or put anybody on the spot. You know, maybe you said it, maybe you didn't. But it's kind of like how a lot of ladies, they like to say, oh, I'm fat. Right? But they just want to be told, um, you're, no, you're skinny. Right? You, you know, I remember, um, never mind. Um, I was just going to say, sometimes when people do that, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You, you are. <gasps> Why would you say that? Why'd you say that? Ah, I see what this is. This is baiting someone to get them to say what you wanted them to say. But you didn't really mean it. <laughs> it's it's just a it's manipulation. That's really what it is. Just Amen. Just be honest and say, "Hey, can you tell me uh how I really look or can you compliment me so I can feel better about myself?" At least be honest, right? Um, and I, I get it, you know, people have a lot of insecure issues, but the thing is Jesus has to get you through those insecurities. <laughs> you can't, don't accept that. Don't accept insecurities because insecurities will make for someone's downfall, right? It See, and, and we'll get to the word here uh, shortly. Um, this is why guys like Mike Todd in them. See, you see a lot of people that do all these acrobats during you know acrobatic stunts and stuff and props and all this stuff uh during their so-called preachings uh when it's not preachings it's just religious ted talks there's a huge difference and you got to understand there's a big difference because preaching christ accompanies preaching religious ted talks it's just their own thoughts and their own heads and 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 they're all they're there on their own authority <clears throat> christ won't back those people you know, it's it's like this guy. I forgot the guy's name, but he's. This is what I can't stand. Is he's so big and popular on Instagram and YouTube, and he he's one of the blue checkmark Christians. And the reason why I bring this out is because it saddens me that so many people fall headlong into these guys, 
and yet they're so reprehensible. There's no, not Ruslan. Um, the guy that likened Jesus to a stripper or something like that. What's his name? But he he was talking about making it rain and stuff like that, and it just it's 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 horrible. Amen. Uh, I, I forgot exactly what the man said, but you know it's it's nonsense. Um, <clears throat> but the point that you know that I'm trying to make is that. Um, God doesn't back that. Those men are standing there on their own authority. Because it's just religiosity. It's just religion. And it's just getting people hyped up. And there's no, there's no, there's no presence. And we have to know that there's, there's a difference between just because someone speaks in Jesus name doesn't mean that Christ is present. Amen. Um, but um, what I was going to say is Mike Todd is an insecure guy. And insecurity leads people like that to do what pleases people. Amen. And so guess what? You can't please Christ and please people. So when you seek to please people, guess who you're not ministering to anymore? Christ. Amen. So you may even mention Jesus and not mention... Uh, minister the Christ. You, you're not ministering to Christ nor ministering Christ. Amen. So that's why Paul says, if I seek to be a servant of men, a pleaser of men, I cease to be a servant of Christ. And those are what false teachers are. Those are what false prophets are. Not a prophet that might have missed a prophetic word over your life. It's someone who is leading you away from the Christ, leading you away from Jesus, although indirectly these people may be sincere and love people, not love them with the love of God, but love them in a human way. So these people are really likable, but you don't know that they're injecting a lot of leaven in their doctrine that contaminates. Amen. There's a contamination. And you have to be mindful and you have to be aware of that contamination. <clears throat> All right. So with that said, um, the word of the Lord is purified. It's refined seven times. And so what that means is the word of God will always stand the test of time. You, you see... There are philosophies and ideas and suggestions and stuff that fall out during time. Over time, they lose their trendiness. They lose their, you know, traction. Um, you know, there's certain big names that pop up on the scene. And then, you know, five years later, what they said is now proven to be false. Or, you know, we found a more effective way. And... And so time ends up testing these philosophies and they don't last. But the word of the Lord, however, is lasting and enduring. So that's why you can't go wrong to base your life upon the word of God. Amen. 
You can't go wrong basing your life off the scriptures. Because if you base your life off the scriptures, guess what's going to last is your life as well. What you've constructed will last. So your, your life and the volume that you've built upon Christ will remain. Amen? But guess what? If you parent after the world, if you father after the world, if you have a marriage after the world, those things will not endure because they're built upon the faulty foundations of men. And the foundations of men can be shaken and will be destroyed and they will not last. That's why Jesus says, those who take upon, those who hear the words of my sayings and do does them is I will liken unto a wise man that built his house upon the rock, right? So when the storms come and beats up against the house, that house will remain. But the person who doesn't is like the one who builds his house upon the sand. So when the storms come, everything comes to ruin. Amen. <coughs> does that make sense? <coughs> um. This is why people have failed marriage after failed marriage. They have failed uh, children after failed children. Now, I'm not saying this to insult anybody or to beat anybody over the head, but it's just, it's, it's true. Now, obviously, there are, in some circumstances, things just go wrong, even though you've done everything right. But nine out of ten times, things went wrong because you went wrong. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, the way that you can avoid going wrong is to go right. And the only way to go right is to go to the Word of the Lord. Okay, so now with that said, I want us to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, uh, verse uh, 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Now, I want to... Tell us, I want to have us get out our Bibles, um, especially, especially today. I know I've said that sometimes in the past, but we're going to be reading a great deal of scripture. Um, now, by the way, it's more, it's also very important. It's not enough to read scripture. There has to be an explanation of scripture. Right, just because you just because you provide what you think is a proof text doesn't mean that it actually proves anything. It the, every text that we read has to rightfully be understood. Right, there is observation and there is interpretation. There's three things: observation, interpretation, and application. What the scripture that I observe with my eyes, for example, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right, that's I'm observing that. Now the second thing I have to fulfill is what does that mean? Let me give you one example of what people think it means. When they say God so loved the world, they go like this and they stretch their arms like so 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 and try to give this idea that the word so there means, you know, I love you so, so much. <laughs> and I, I understand, I, when I was a young believer, I thought the same too. But 
that's not a proper interpretation. I, I, honest, I honestly don't know why the translators put the word soul there because in the Greek, it's the word hutos gar agape sin. And hutos means thus or in this manner. Gar means for. Agape sin means to love. Right? So it means for in this manner, God demonstrated his love for the world. That's what the word so there means is in this manner. So, nevertheless, it's the point though being is this, observation and you have to rightfully interpret what you're reading. And then thirdly is application. What good is it if I rightfully understand everything, but I'm not applying anything to my life? Amen? So, let us not be hearers of the word only and be not doers. No. You know, the Bible says that if you do not do the word, you are a forgetful hearer. See, the only word that you truly remember is the, is the word you do. Does that make sense? <clears throat> this is why I'm so against uh, people who just love... See, the only reason, the only way you can go to seminary because I know I talk bad about it a lot, is, is if your heart is on fire. If your heart is on fire, then go ahead and go to seminary. But if your heart is not on fire, you're only going to compile more light that will serve for your condemnation because you have not the heart to do it. You're just wanting to build more light, more light, more light, learn, 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 but you don't have a heart that's passionately in love with God in order to do everything that you've been commanded through the grace of God, of course. Amen. So it's not enough to have heads full of light. We have to have hearts full of passionate obedience. Amen. Amen. So <coughs> are the rest of you following? The rest of you here? Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse uh, 12, beginning at verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Now, <coughs> um, as I've said already, you know, make sure you have your Bibles because I, I want to, today's is going to be more of a teaching rather than, you know, a prophetic preaching. And because I want to teach us some things here, okay? Because I remember Ray Comfort said something. He said, a loud bang is only good if it hits the target. Now, the target is your mind. So if I, with a loud bang, preach a very passionate message, but it doesn't target your head and it doesn't lead you to understanding, then you're going to be in no greater of a position than you were before. You have to obtain understanding. Okay? And so this is going to be more... I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that the heart is not involved here, but... 
<clears throat> it, it there's gonna be more head involved here, and you have to keep up a little bit. But I I want to plead with us to to be patient. Because what I seek to do is provide a framework. The problem today in the church, especially here in the West, in America particularly, is that we have wrong frameworks. What I mean by that is the reason why we're misunderstanding God and His ways is because we've created a false framework based upon all of these different verses we think we understand and we just mesh them all together. Okay? So, with that said, what I seek to be doing is to create a proper framework for us today. And with that, that will require work to be done on our minds. And this is what a lot of people don't particularly like because people. I, 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 yesterday I had um, some guy that I was talking to. He's a brother, and uh, I just commented on his uh, thing, his uh, his uh, a video he posted. He said, "Please stop commenting on my stuff. I don't believe that." Now, <laughs> first of all, I I'm thinking to myself, well, it is a it's kind of a public thing. If you post something, it's subject to public scrutiny, right? It's pu- it's subject to public comment. And not only that, we're friends. Not only that, he's a brother. Not only that, I posted biblical truth. And so what in the person leads them to say, shut up? In other words, he just said it in a nice way, shut up. I don't want to talk about the Bible. Unless you are afraid to unlearn something. You know, I, I was I was thankful because my boss told me, uh, the principal of the school that I work at, we were talking in his office and he says, you know, Greg, I want to, he says, I want to say, I, he says, something that I find so rare in people, I, I appreciate in you. He says, you're very, very reflective and inquisitive and you... You, you you reflect to learn and to grow. And I said, I appreciate that you point that out because I am that way because I never want to believe something false or limit myself because if I put my heels in the ground and I said, I'm not moving, I'm not, I can't learn anything, then what happens is if I am mistaken, then guess what? Whose life I hurt? Mine. Not anybody else. Well, I will hurt other people's lives too. But I will hurt mine also. Is that understood? So never be so proud. But the thing I told him, I said, you're obviously unwilling to learn because all of you have made were assertions and you haven't asked a single question about anything I said. And so so nonetheless, um, what I hope to be dealing with today are frameworks. (coughs) And so... With that said, as we read, look at what what he says here. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Now, first of all, this is Timothy who is an apostle of the Lord. Now, I don't have time to go there, but there's a verse that doesn't explicitly say that he was an apostle, 
but we know by inference that he was. Okay, but that aside, at the very minimum, we know that he was laboring for the Lord in the Word. He was a minister. Okay, but nonetheless, he was still learning it from somebody. He says, the Holy Scripture, he says, what does he say? Look, let, let us read. He says, become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And not only that, it's not as if Timothy was this pagan, right? And he had no knowledge of the scriptures because the clause following immediately after that says this. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. So this is someone that was not ignorant of the scriptures. But nonetheless, despite the fact that he was very informed of the scriptures, still had to learn the doctrine of Christ from someone else, namely Paul. And the reason why we know it was Paul is because why? Paul says, I, he says, Timothy, my true son in the faith. Paul was a father to Timothy. And he says in the same context, in chapter in verse 10 you however know all about my teaching my way of life my purpose faith etc so paul was the one that taught timothy it was from paul that timothy had the impartation of revelation and was rooted and grounded in the doctrine of christ despite the fact that timothy was well informed from infancy of the Holy Scriptures, right? So, and now don't think of it as infancy from spiritual infancy, but natural infancy. That is to say, as a little child, why do we know that? Because his grandmother Lois uh, and, and Eunice, why his mother Eunice or grandmother Lois, right? They were of the faith as well. And we know that from what Paul tells Timothy in First or Second Timothy, right? So, but continuing onward, Timothy learned this. And it says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may th be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so now the reason why I'm pointing this out is because, remember when we were talking about frameworks, one of the problems today, I would say one of the biggest problems today in America, and I'm going to speak for my country, because I don't, I don't want to, I know how it can be when other countries talk about my country, it gets, you know what I mean, I don't like that. <laughs> um, but let me own up for my own country, is, um, we, we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like, we like to be independent, right? Because we have our own declaration of independence, right? We've declared independence from Great Britain. You don't tell us what to do anymore. And I'm thankful for that. I think there's a lot, a lot of good has come out of that, right? They fled from tyranny and religious oppression and they sought to establish independence here. I'm not, I don't mean to get political, but the point that I'm saying is that the spirit of an American is independence. Let me learn on my own. Let me do it my own. Let me do everything my own. However, 
And, and we've imported that mindset into Christianity. Y'all following so far? Can I get an amen? And so I know that uh, some of you didn't fall asleep or... <coughs> um. <coughs> All right, awesome, thank you. Um, we've imported that mindset into Christianity. And a big part of that is because of a man named Martin Luther, especially during that time of the Protestant Reformation. I'm sure you guys heard of the Protestant Reformation. You may not have. I'm not going to give a history lesson. But the point, though, is Martin Luther comes on the scene, and I'm not saying there isn't any good that has come out of that. But there are also some bad that has come out of that. Okay, You have to remember for 1,500 years, the only people who had the scriptures were ministers. Everybody else did not have the scriptures. In fact, the same was true even in the Old Testament. Only the priests and, and the king had a copy of the scriptures as well. And prophets, because prophets wrote scripture, right? Only they had the scriptures. And if you do some historical research on the history of the church, you'll find that since the time of Martin Luther onward, we've had far much more false doctrine than centuries past. And social media has decentralized knowledge. That means everybody that has access to a phone and a microphone, has an opportunity to speak, whatever he or she or they, zim, zit, zir, wants to say. I'm not acknowledging their pronouns. I'm just insulting their so-called pronouns. But anybody wants to say, right? Now, because of that, so much false doctrine there are, there's false doctrines among false doctrines. There are denominations among denominations. Since that time, there are thousands of different denominations. You want to know why? Because of Martin Luther. Largely because of him. Now again, I think he stood against a lot of the things that the Catholic Church did was bad. And there's... There's idolatry in the Catholic Church. There's necromancy in the Catholic Church. There's a lot of bad in the Catholic Church. And we can all say amen to that. But <clears throat> with all that said, now the problem we're facing today is that because knowledge has been decentralized, everybody, today it's not anybody with the microphone or, well, yes, Anybody with a cell phone or microphone who wants to say what they want to say or spew out what they want to spew out has an opportunity to. Well, today, because the scriptures have been placed in the hands of everybody, anybody who thinks anything will say what they want to say. Do you see that? And that's what has given rise to so many false doctrines. There wouldn't be Mormonism today 
if it wasn't for Martin Luther. There wasn't be Jehovah's Witnesses today if it wasn't for Martin Luther. It wouldn't be all of these. And again, if you don't believe me, go and check your church history. You'll learn that everything that I'm saying is accurate. Since that time, false doctrines have exploded. With that said, okay, the point that I'm trying to make is that Timothy didn't come on the scene and think it was a bright idea to start teaching. He had to learn those things from Paul. Amen. Amen. Now, of course, it's different today because we're not learning from the ones who who had themselves learned from Jesus personally. Right? Because so many more disputes could be easily settled by just asking the apostles, what, what does this mean? Right? Now, we don't have the luxury of doing that today. Is that understood? We can't just go to the Apostle Paul and say, what did you mean when you wrote this right here? Right? Amen? Instead, we have to do a lot of work to be able to understand what they actually said what they actually taught through reading the scriptures. <clears throat> but, but my stress here is that Timothy didn't learn the doctrines of Christ by reading scripture alone. Even though he knew from infancy the Holy Scriptures, he didn't learn it by himself. And this is what I want to combat. Is because today, what are we told? Here's a Bible, read the Bible, and you'll learn it. Okay, but guess what? If I handed each and every one of you a Bible and I said, I'm not going to teach at all. All of you guys read the Bible, then in six months time come back and tell me what it means everybody is going to get a different understanding i guarantee you there's going to be a lot of overlap on some very very clear issues but there's going to be so much disagreement and the reason for that is because what we've made the church into is a democracy with the people governing instead of Christ appointed heads to lead the body. Is that understood? Amen. I'm not going to give my entire household, right? Let's say I had 12 kids. I'm not going to say, hey, uh, just govern your life. I mean, after all, it's all about independence and, you know, you can do it your own. That's not how God designed for children to be developed. Right? That's not how God de designed for children to be developed. God has designed for children to be in submission and subordination and subjection to the head. And, uh, of course, the husband, the father is the head. And the same model is not, there's some differences, but for the most part, there are heads in the church. This is consistent with what is taught in the Old Testament. There were the heads of Israel. And who were the heads of Israel? Were the elders. Okay? You don't believe me? Go and check and look up some of those verses in the Old Testament. Who were the heads of Israel? You'll see that they were the elders of Israel. Okay? Y'all following so far? 
Now, I understand this might not be like a, man, this is great revelation for my life, but, but, or, you know, the reason, this is so important because it will help you to interpret wrong movements and wrong doctrines out in the world, out on social media, right? Having a proper framework is so crucial for your development as a Christian. Okay? Um, <clears throat> now, what does it say? It says this. It says, which, it says uh, all scriptures God breathed and useful for training in righteousness, uh, excuse me, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, remember how I gave you the example of that brother earlier? And, uh, I don't hate the brother at all. I'm just I'm just giving it as an example. That's all I'm doing. Is I was seeking to correct a misunderstanding he had. Right? Now, if the word of God and when one of the things he said in response is I don't want to debate. Okay? Now, but here's the thing. If the word of God is intended for correction, then how can correction be effective if communication is shut down? Is that understood? If you say, I don't want to hear it, how can you be corrected? Right? Okay. If your children say, Mom, I don't want to hear it. Dad, uh, no. Then they're not they cannot be corrected and steered in the right direction. Is that understood? If you work in a school, you know, <laughs> I'm seeing all the more how frustrating it is when people don't want to learn. Right? They will avoid, they will evade, they will distract, they will, they get all in their flesh and guess what? They start manifesting because they don't want to listen. Okay, and it, it, it's just, okay, well, I'll, I'll drop it at that. The point that I'm trying to make is the word of God is intended for correction, is to train, right? To rebuke. So guess what? Uh, if you're being corrected, correction doesn't feel good. Even if it's in from a neutral standpoint, I, I'm in college. So I know how it is when my teacher says that's wrong. I don't like that, but what am I going to do? Am I going to say, forget this and rip it up? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Professor is not affected by that at all. It don't hurt his ego. Sorry, study more. Amen. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Amen. I'm I'm leading up to somewhere. I'm sorry that this is taking a while, uh, but you just have to follow in order to see where the point leads. Okay, because see, correction is not always moral. You may not necessarily need to be corrected for sexual immorality or because you're getting drunk or because you're smoking weed or. 
And by the way, smoking weed is witchcraft. Amen. Amen. People want to justify that stuff. It is witchcraft. You know, <clears throat> you know, and, and people just because it's legal here in California or legal in America now doesn't make doesn't mean that it's moral. Don't mean that it's right. Amen. You know, I, I, I've had times smoking weed before I became a Christian that opened me up to demons. I, I remember one time they 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 were praying to demons over the weed. And I'm like, me and my homeboy looking at each other like, well, these people are crazy. But we did anyways, and I started hallucinating. It's witchcraft. It, it it's It's a spell on the mind. Amen. People don't like that, but it's true. And then here comes the old man saying, you know, try to justify everything. Oh, well, you know, God created the plants. and Here comes the theologies. Here comes all this stuff because someone refuses to be corrected. It's the scriptures. See, okay, if that's true, then why don't you go uh, uh, stick... Uh, you know, uh, raspberries up your nose. See, just because it's been intended for our use doesn't mean that it can be, it can't be misused. You just have to figure out what the marijuana is actually intended for. And guess what? It's not intended to roll it up and start smoking it. Start smoking raspberries. Start smoke. Why don't you smoke another plant? Smoke poison ivy. Ah, you don't want to do that. But I thought God created the plants and... You get what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. <coughs> um... <coughs> now, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> um, now... Someone asked this. I'm not going to say who. It was a private message. What about when you have the head in a church leading you to put your eyes on them more so than on Christ? See, here's the thing. Any head in a church or over the church, overseer of the church, pastor, prophet, whatever, their objective is to point you to the Christ. Now, but here's the thing. This is where people have a hard time about this. Is because why did Paul say this? Follow me as I follow Christ. Why didn't he just say follow Christ? Now, what you don't have the opportunity to do, because when people don't have an explanation for that, they'll just say, oh, well, you know, they just want to throw it out the window, right? I don't know how to explain it. I'll just... I'll just Dismiss it. 
You can't do that. What does it mean? He didn't say follow Christ. He said follow me as I follow Christ. Right? You guys recall reading that in your Bibles? Yes, sir. Is that in your Bibles? Okay. Why didn't he just say, hey, here's a here's a Bible, brother. Uh, you know, seek Jesus. He didn't say that. You don't see that at all in the scriptures. Okay? See, <clears throat> Paul was an ambassador for Christ. See, look, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is one who goes to a foreign country speaking on the behalf of their country. So if I, as an American citizen, walk up to any country I want and start saying, we as an American citizens say this, that they will discard everything I say because I don't have the legal authority to represent America. And do not get it misunderstood that just because you are a citizen of heaven, that you are a representative of heaven. They're not the same. Just because you are a citizen, which all of us have been made partakers of. Amen. 100%. Everybody's going to heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You're born from above. But you're not, everybody's not a legal ambassador of heaven. So, when Jesus sent out the the 12 in Luke 9, what did he say? Those who receive you, receive me. Those who reject you, reject me. Who were the 12? The apostles. So Paul could say, if you reject what I'm telling you, you're rejecting Christ. Because Christ has committed his message through the apostles. Does that make sense? He, see, Jesus didn't say to the apostles, tell everybody to read their Bibles. Because guess what? The Bibles weren't even established at the time. They were still writing the New Testament. And even at that time, the vast majority of the world was illiterate and couldn't even read the Old Testament. Oh, what do you do then? So, God committed knowledge to be shot up in Paul, in Peter. This is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, you shut out people from the kingdom and you yourselves don't enter in. Why? Because they were gatekeepers. Why do you think the elders always sat at the gates? They were gatekeepers. They had access. This is why Jesus told Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Does that make sense? And and I understand this can be hard for some people. And and I know that intuitively, like you're thinking, well, that is there's a lot of these passages I never could make sense of. And it makes sense as you string them together. But it takes some time for your mind to catch up. Because why? We've been indoctrinated to believe something completely false. We've been told all our lives that a dog is a cat. So when someone comes along and says, Hey, brother, that dog ain't a cat. That dog is a dog. 
you say, but my mama said, but, 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 but my mama said, my mama said, <laughs> you guys ever watch, uh, uh, what's the movie, uh, Waterboy, <laughs> my, my, mama said, my, my, mama said, I, I, I can't play foosball, <laughs> right, but, but, but my mama said, <laughs> right, now, here's the thing, though, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean in the slightest that why does why does James say that teachers will undergo a stricter judgment because of that because of that responsibility because of that responsibility to lead people to hell Right? <sighs> or to to impart knowledge to develop them after Christ. Now, here's what I am not saying is that they're God. What I'm not saying is that they're Jesus. I'm not saying any of that in the slightest. You don't even allow that to come as a thought in your mind. That is completely out of the question. Of course they're not. But... Is your parents Jesus? No. Are your parents always right? No. But guess who God chose for your development to come through? Your parents. Right? And it's your obligations of your parents. What does it say? Fathers, bring your children up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. So fathers are a priest over their home. Amen? Can the parent be wrong? Yes. Are they infallible? No. Whose objective, whose obligation is it for them to point them to Christ? The father and the mother. So what can the father and mother say? Son, daughter, follow me. As I follow Christ, you don't just hand them a Bible, say, hey, follow Jesus. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to tell you what to see. I'm not going to tell you what you believe. Do you do that? Ah, we, we, we want to readily accept it as parents. And for those of you that ain't parents yet, best believe you will. Because I like to see you govern a house without governing it. It's not going to happen. But we just, for, for whatever reason, we don't want to accept it when it comes in the church does it make sense we accept it in government we accept it in the home well unless you're a liberal i i remember i was uh i remember in one class some years back there was this girl this lady she said that she don't correct her children i was like and they're like they get along just fine i'm like you're lying you're a liar either you're lying or you're a doormat. Because. Anyways. Um, <coughs> so Paul said follow me. As I follow Christ. Now. What I'm not going to be an excuse for. Because there are egotistical, egotistical. Oppressors and manipulators. That are in the church. You never submit to abuse. Amen. 
It don't matter whether it's in a marriage. It don't matter whether whether it's your parents. It doesn't matter if it's the government. If it's abusive, you have every right to defy. Amen? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and we have uh, bozos like John MacArthur who tell the his flock that the women need to be subjected to an, an oppressive manipulator that ended up sexually assaulting the you know you know molesting and doing all this junk right <laughs> so you don't submit to that amen does that make sense i just want to be clear on that this isn't giving a pass for oppressors and manipulators amen I told you that today would be work um, and and I, I hope that you know we're following uh, the logic and um, just the scriptures and we'll, we'll get into some more passages here but uh, <clears throat> I want to encourage us to again be patient if you're able to endure a two and a half hour college class right or, or if for those of you that were in public school, right? Five days a week, how many hours? Being taught subjects you don't like learning. Wasn't David says that your word is like honey, right? From the honeycomb. Amen. So the word of the Lord should be delightful to us. You know, there shouldn't be anything in us, even if it's a bit hard, right? They may be bitter at the first, but it's enjoyable. Does that make sense? Uh, can I get an amen for the rest uh, of us in the chat? Make sure we're following. Amen. <coughs> See, one of the things I refuse to do, <clears throat> I refuse to be a Mike Todd. You know, what good is it if you get all hyped up and pumped up, right? And your life is no better. See, these people capitalize off emotional people. And they have to come, they're junkies. They have to come back the following week and and get pumped up again and nothing ever changes for their lives. Even when they want to be obedient. They don't know what to be obedient to. Right? Because they're not taught the scriptures. It's not looking at the word. Right? It's religious TED Talks that sound good, sound palatable. Now, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 7. And the book of Hebrews is one of those books that you have to understand the Old Testament to understand this book especially. In fact, a lot of the New Testament you can't understand without understanding the Old. <clears throat> because the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Does that make sense? So, in order to have revelation of the new, you have to go back to the old, and they complement each other. Amen? So, the problem we get into as modern believers is we pick up the scriptures and we import our ideas into the text, getting it to say what we want it to say, or we may not want it to say what we want it to say. We, we want it to say what the Bible says it says, but because of lack of understanding, we we go off course. 
<coughs> now, the, now, let me preface by saying the reason why we're reading Hebrews 7 is so that you have an understanding of what's called priesthood. Okay? <coughs> now, I want you to throw out uh, any, anything. I want you to throw out Catholicism. Because immediately, as Christians, we get triggered when we hear the word priesthood and we think Catholic. We think Catholicism. I want you to throw that out. Because Catholics don't have a monopoly on truth. Catholics don't have the right to define what means what. If there is a term in the Bible, we have every right to use that term in the Bible. Does that make sense? If it's there in the scriptures, and this, you have to be careful, because even when there's a term in the Bible, because some other group elsewhere used it, you get reactionary. And you get triggered. And without even questioning what the person meant by it, you already assume stuff about it. That It's like no different in a relationship. Just because you had past traumas, now you bring that to a new relationship, and you don't allow the person the luxury of being themselves and meaning what they mean when they say things. Amen? And so you have to allow guards to come down for learning to take place. So with that said, <coughs> there is a priesthood. And we're going to see that, and it's not a foreign idea to the New Testament. It'd be one thing if we're reading the Old Testament, everybody readily accepts, oh, well, there is a Levitical priesthood. But when we come and transfer over to the New Testament, we, we think somehow that that's, that's been done away with. It's not been done away with. And we'll see. So let's, uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Um, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So let me first establish this. The writer of Hebrews is saying Melchizedek is a priest. Not only priest, but he says high priest. Okay, now what is the significance of that? The significance of that is this, is that Melchizedek was there before the giving of the law. So, and it was the law that instructed us on priesthood. It was through the law that was given from the hand of Moses by God that instructed the people on about the Levitical priesthood. Okay? But now you have to understand this. Levi comes from Abraham. Levi is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham is not a descendant of Levi. Now Abraham did what? Paid tithes to Melchizedek, okay? Now, keep that in mind. <coughs> As we're reading on, <coughs> it says, 
Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living, one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now here's the point. This, So I... As I said, Hebrews is a complicated book to understand. And I'm sure we've probably read that passage like, what the heck does that even mean? <clears throat> um, here's what it means. Levi, right? The priesthood in the Old Testament came from the tribe of Levi. They were called the Levitical priests. Okay? Now, Levi comes from Abraham, okay? So, now, who gave tithes to Melchizedek? Abraham did. So, the writer of Hebrews is saying that, figuratively speaking, Levi paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. But how is that the case? <clears throat> If Levi was commanded to receive tithes, not pay them. Okay? And the reason why is because Melchizedek is a superior priest. And it was Jesus, the Bible says, if you look in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a priest after the Melchizedek order. And that priesthood is a superior priesthood than that of the Levitical tribe. The Levitical priesthood. Because the Levitical priesthood was, was valid for a time. During the time of the law. But since the passing of the Old Covenant, there has been introduced a new priesthood. And that priesthood is the Melchizedek priesthood. So the point that I'm trying to make is that Levi, through Abraham, paid tithes. Which suggests that Levi was to be submitted to Melchizedek. And I know, I hope that we catch this. And I'm sure some of us may not understand. But if you don't understand anything that I've set up until this point, you have to understand this is that this suggests that there's still a priesthood today. Because if Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, well, Jesus was a high priest in the New Testament. And guess what? We're in the days of the New Testament. Amen? Does, does that make sense? Okay, now, <clears throat> um, 
Let me try to explain this one more time, just in case that anybody missed it. Um, <coughs> we see that priesthood is not a concept that is just a concept that only the law speaks of. Because Melchizedek received tithes, right? Remember, Levi used to receive tithes, receives tithes in the law. Why? Because they were priests. Well, why is it Melchizedek is receiving tithes before the law? Because Abraham lived before Moses. So the law did not even come at this time. Because some people will say tithes and priesthood is just a thing of the law. It's not true because this was happening even before the law and is still happening after the law. Why? Because Jesus, the, the Psalms declared that Jesus would forever be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay? So let me ask you this question. Is Jesus high priest today? Right? So then that means that there is a priesthood, right? Now, here's the thing. In the Levitical law, there was one high priest and many priests. In the New Testament, there's one high priest, Jesus. There are many priests. Does that make sense? Now... Here's where I want to add some further clarification. Um, let me let me stop right here at this point, and I just want to see if anybody has any questions about what I've uh, what I've been teaching on so far. Uh, I have I have a couple questions because I've been like, well, you saw my uh, my thing. Recording in progress. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now. <clears throat> Here's the second part I want to I want to get us to, and this is where a lot of people have problem. And I, I don't mean to be controversial, but I, I some unlearning might have to be. Some of us might have to unlearn, and maybe maybe not. And maybe just further confirm what you already believe. Now, I think I established already that there is a. <clears throat> priesthood let, let us read one other verse right here from um, uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood why was there still a need for another priest to come one in the order of Melchizedek not in the order of Aaron for when the priesthood is changed the law must be changed also so what does it say? That the priesthood changed. It wasn't removed. Amen? You see it right there? That the priesthood was changed. And it cha all that changed were orders. It's no longer Levitical priesthood. It is Melchizedek priesthood. Now, someone will say this. We're all priests. <clears throat> and this is, this is, this is what's taught is the priest of all believers but let me let me let me shed some light on that okay now normally the passage that people go to is second peter right not second peter first peter it's chapter one uh it's first peter chapter two verse nine 
So let, let us turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> and people normally will go to this passage to try to argue that, well, there's an equality in the New Testament and that there is no hierarchy. And since Peter is saying that we're all priests, well then at the end of the day there really is no there's no hierarchy cuz we're all priests after all. Let's read that. And this is by the way is the only verse that they go to. Uh, there's one other in the book of Revelation, but that only it, but Revelation and this pretty much are, you know, kind of the same thing. Um <clears throat> Now, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, depending on what Bible you have, you might have a footnote at the end of the Bible that shows you where Peter is quoting from. You may or you may not. But Peter is quoting from a passage in the Old Testament, and I want us to turn there. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus chapter 19, <clears throat> verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Just like Peter said. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So what did it say they would become? Priests. But guess what? Who did he say that to? Anybody want to share what, who, who, who they think they, he said that to? <clears throat> was he only speaking to the Levites no he was speaking to all of Israel and Peter is quoting this passage to refer to us in the New Testament that we are God's possession royal priesthood holy nation do you see that now here's the thing, if you look in Exodus chapter 29, chapters later, look at Exodus chapter 29 verse 1, what does it say? <clears throat> this is what you are to do to consecrate them, who? The Levitical priests, so, that you, so they may serve me as priests. And then also read verse 4. Then bring Aaron and his sons 
to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And then let us read 7 through 9. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So what is he going? Chapters later, he's consecrating a priest from a general priesthood that had taken place in Exodus chapter 19. Do you see that? Exodus 19, he calls all of Israel says, You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are my prized possession. Just like Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is a general priesthood. This is why fathers are priests of their home and stuff like that. They have authority in that jurisdiction. They pray for their children. They bless their children. That's why you see fathers speaking over children to bless them and stuff like that. Now, but here in Exodus chapter 29, 10 chapters later, what is Moses doing? He is setting apart the Levitical priesthood and ordaining them as consecrated priests and what does the Lord explicitly say in verse uh, 8? The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Right? So Exodus 19 speaks all of Israel. Exodus 29 speaks only to the Levites. Aaron, his sons, the Levitical priesthood. Does that make sense? So, if this was the order in the old, if this was the, the format and the system in the old, this is the system in the new. So that while all the Christians are a general priesthood, a holy nation unto God, God sets apart ministerial priests to serve Him in the temple. Who is the temple? The church. You read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Paul says, You are God's building. We are co-laborers together with Him. He says, you are God's field, we are the, the workers, the laborers in the field. Does that make sense? Amen. Any questions about that so far? Now, <laughs> let, let, me, let me see, let me uh, uh, see, amen, let me know you're following I want to make sure everybody understands. Now, <clears throat> now here's where, um, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11. Watch, I want to show you guys. See, the Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. You're not going to get this you know, from one book, an entire explanation and full understanding of all that God wants to communicate. You're not going to get that. You have to piece these puzzles together and guess how that comes. It comes through years of study. It comes through years of prayer. And ultimately, it does come... See, this is what people fail to understand. Um, see, when you're a ministerial priest... God gives revelation. God has grace to enable them to obtain revelation that the rest of the body 
doesn't would not originally get on their own. Now let me let me let me explain that. And I understand people have a problem with this, but you you have to you have to understand where this is coming from. It's not because there's anything better inherently of myself or another pastor or apostle, nothing inherently better, not superior in myself, nothing. It is all of grace. Okay, Paul says, who made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant? He's our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of God. Okay, now, am I to be angry with you because you came out the womb being able to sing? How'd you do that? It was the grace of God. And I can try for 10 years to match what you got in six months, and I won't be able to. Why? Because you are graced for that. Does that make sense? So, for example, uh, you know, the grace on my life to prophesy, right? It's not because I try. It's not because I'm better in myself. It has nothing to do with that. If God's grace doesn't empower, I'm in the position of everybody else. Does that make sense? It's nothing about me. It's the grace of God flowing through vessels and guess what he doesn't function with everybody the same that's biblical romans 12 says that very clearly first corinthians talks about that as well okay because if all were the eye where would the seeing be if all were the hand or all were the ear where would the hearing be right doesn't mean that you can't hear from god but it doesn't mean that in the slightest, but it means that there is a grace that is is exclusive, well, not exclusive, but that may be on my life that's not on another person's life. With that said, we read in Romans 12 that there's a gift of teaching, right? Now, the same grace that empowers myself to prophesy, to do what I can't do in myself, well, similarly, there's a grace to obtain insight into the scriptures because of that teaching gift. That what someone with that grace can get in an hour, what it would take the next person to get in 10 hours. Is it because they're far smarter? No, it's because of the grace on their life. Does that make sense? Amen. Okay, now with that said, look at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11. Let's read what the word of the Lord says. It says, And so and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Okay, now let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 18. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 18. And so, by the way, that was said to the Levites. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 18. It says, And they said, Come, let's make plans against Jeremiah, for the teaching of the law by the priest will not cease, nor will counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. 
So teaching is to come by the, the priests. Teaching is to come through the ministerial priesthood. Let's read one other verse. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. And, and this is where we have to get rid of also the thinking that says, oh, that's Old Testament. Why does the apostles quote the Old Testament in New Testament? For example, Paul quotes um, in 1 Timothy, says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, has God spoken this concerning because the ox for he cares for the ox? Or does he speak it for ourselves? He says, Doubtless he's speaking for us. And what was he saying in context? That ministers should not be kept from their necessary wages, right? But what is he drawing from? He's drawing from the Old Testament. We see this time and time again. So people can't say, well, that's just Old Testament. Okay. Now, certainly there are things that don't apply today because they have been fulfilled, but its fulfillment doesn't mean that it's completely done away with. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, we were supposed to sacrifice lambs. God hasn't done away with sacrifice. He hasn't. What he's changed is the order of the priesthood so that the sacrifice now comes through the laying down of the life of Christ. Does that make sense? So we're no longer sacrificing bulls and goats and sheep. Christ, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed for our sins. We know, see, and, and, and the book of Hebrews says all those were types and shadows, but now we're in the reality. And so we, when we're looking at Old Testament passages, what we should be ra- saying isn't that that's done away with. We should be asking is what is its fulfillment in the New Testament? Because it has a fulfillment. Does it make sense? Okay, and I'll, I'll leave it there. But Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. So when we read these verses, don't think, oh, that's just Old Testament. No, it has it has its fulfillment in the new. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 says this. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Amen. So this is why Paul says to Timothy, you have known the scriptures from infancy, he says, but don't forget from whom you have learned it. You have known my teaching, my way of life, my patience, my so on and so forth. All right, why does Paul say to Timothy, instruct men, faithful men, who will be able also to teach others. That's why it says an overseer must be blameless and able to teach. 1 Corinthians, right? You, you see the parallels? <clears throat> I, I, I hope this is making sense thus far. Amen? Now, let us turn... Now, I want us to look... And I'm not going to have us go there, but I, I want to... We'll be coming to a close here shortly. <clears throat> you, don't have, you can turn there later if you want. But Leviticus chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, talk about the priest's authority to determine things clean or unclean. Now, that's important. Why? Because Jesus' high priest 
had cleansed those who had unclean spirits. And so similarly, those who are of the ministerial priesthood walk in that fashion too. Those who have unclean spirits, they not only determine whether someone is unclean or clean, right? How? Through the discerning of spirits, right? I've had a number of occasions where through the discerning of spirits, I knew someone was demon-possessed. They had an unclean spirit. I didn't, I didn't know them. Like this, he has a demon, and boom, manifest. But the better promises in the new is that they actually have the power and authority to drive it out. Amen? Now look at, see, this is where, again, Bible interprets Bible. And so who was to keep knowledge? The priests, right? Now look at uh, Romans chapter 15. Look at Romans chapter 15, because, and I'm sure, you know, some of us would look at like, what? I ain't never seen that there. Well, you know, um, Romans chapter 15, verse 15. Look at what Paul says. Verses 15 and 16. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. The what duty? The priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you think Paul is just being poetic here? He's not using poetic writing. Paul, again, is a Jew, is drawing from the Old Testament. He's drawing from language and terms from the Old Testament and that are, that are being laid out in the New so that us as the readers can have an understanding of what is meant by that. Right? And so when we talk about a priesthood, Right, As I established in the old, there was a general priesthood as all of the people of God. But there was a hierarchy of a ministerial priesthood. And the same is true in the New Testament. Paul is counting himself as a ministerial priest committed to the gospel of God. Amen. So what? The Gentiles might be an offering. Amen. Does that, does that make sense? Now, um, I don't, I'm not going to go through all the passages, but you can also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, where Paul... Now, here's the thing. In fact, let, let us, uh, let's just turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember, like I say, we'll be reading a lot of verses. And so I'm putting on my teacher's cap. And um, by the way, there is a difference between prophetic, like preaching as a prophet and teaching as a teacher. Uh, for a lot of people, people think teaching is boring because, you know, it's like, well, I want to I want to hear about my life and stuff like that. See, 
People don't have a problem you prophesying to them, right? They break down crying, oh my gosh, Jesus knows my life and all that stuff. But it's like, okay, well, it's time to learn. Uh, see you later. It's like, really? That's really what builds up your life isn't getting prophesied to, but being taught. Does that make sense? Amen. And look, this is why I can't stand of what I see a lot of these, you know, people, right? They, it, that, that they use that prophetic gift in order to draw people to them, but they keep them ignorant. You see it? And that's why a lot of people end up being deceived and veiled by these false prophets because people are wild. They're like, oh man, this guy knows all my business. Uh, you know, like the Passion Java guy and the uh, Prophet Lovi and all these guys, right? I'm sure you guys have seen, I've been posting a lot of criticisms about these people. And what are they doing? Oh, so a thousand dollar seed and you'll get married. And, you know, they start teaching these crazy stuff. Amen. But what, what is it that they do? They don't teach the scriptures. Prophesy. That's all they do. They entertain people. Isn't that you guys seen those videos? Right. It'll be like 30 minutes just for him to get one word out. So they can start drawing these people unto them. Prophesy, Papa. Oh, go deeper, Papa. It's like, you're not going deep. Because you're going deep in your head, but you're not going deep in the scriptures. How about you, how about we go to the scriptures and tell us what the mind of the Lord is from the word? Amen? Because we learn that the woman in the book of Acts, that she was able to soothsay and say things that was consistent. She didn't say anything false when she says, Here, uh, Apostle, you know, Apostle Paul, here are servants of the Most High God that show you the way of salvation. They didn't say anything false. It was a, you don't, see, that's where cessationists are wrong. They think that a false prophet prophesies lies. It's not true. Some of the, the, the most deceitful prophets. False prophets are the ones that can actually tell you what's in your bank account and all that other stuff. Your social security number and all those things. Amen. But you know what they do? They distort this thing right here. They twist this. And that's why you see that Passion Java guy. What does he have? A dang iPhone that's all gold. His Rolex, he's flossing. Look at, you know, it's $150,000. Look at gold on my shoe. Look at my Lamborghini. What do you, who do you think, where do you think he gets that from? But we don't like to ask those questions, right? Does that make sense? Amen. So, you know, if it, it requires a bit of enduring, you know, if it requires a bit of enduring of, you know, understanding the word, you know, and... That's the safest place for us to be. Amen. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, we'll, we'll be coming to a close here shortly. I, I, I want to try to get through this. Um, verse 6. Look it. Verse 6 through 11. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. 
okay? <clears throat> By the grace give, God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of building is that? Verse 16 tells us, Don't you know that you, are, you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Okay, so, you know, people always say, I am the church. You're not the church. See, the church, or people say, I am the temple of God. You're, you're not the temple of God. Paul is using that in third person plural. Peter says, in Second Peter, you, referring to each individual member, are living stones. So you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone. Are you by yourself the body? No, you might be the foot. Right? The foot can't, I can't hold up to the foot and say, this is the summation of my body. Right? I can't do that. I can't take apart a, a brick and say, this is the entire building. This is a stone. Right? So, you together, again, third person plural, Paul says, you are the temple. But what did Paul say? For we are co workers in God's service, you are God's field, God's building. Right? So we are the ones working on the building. You are the building. You see that? And then if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says in verse uh, 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. A part of it. And God has placed in the church. First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So he's already making a delineation. You are the building. You are the church. God has placed in the church apostles, prophets, so on and so forth. The priests operated in the temple, served in the temple, worked in the temple. You see that? So... Now, we can't twist it and say, well, I wanted to say what I wanted to say. It has to be consistent with the model of the Old Testament and where these analogies are being drawn from and why. Does that make sense? Um, There is, and let, let me let me go one last verse. There's so many other verses that I have, but I just I won't be able to get to them. Uh, um, let's just go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So we see here, we see here that what Christ gave the, the fivefold ministers to teach them to root them in the faith. Right? Again, going back to the idea, he didn't just say, here's a Bible and read it. I'm not, I'm not minimizing saying that we shouldn't read our Bibles. It says in Psalm 1, Blessed is a man that meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. So there's a blessing in meditating upon the Lord, Lord's word, musing upon his word. But the point in fact is this, is that the maturity of the people are reached through that, that model, through that system, through that institution that Christ himself appointed does that make sense um and so if if god gave something and commanded for it to function then let us ask this question can we do without it right that's a question we should be asking if god gave it and commanded it do we have an option or can we do without it? Right? Now, because someone will quote First John, you don't need any man to teach you. Okay, well, here's the thing. First of all, then that's a contradiction with Ephesians chapter 4. If at face value you think it means what it means. Right? If at face value you think it, it unqualified means what it means, you don't need anybody to teach you. Then why has God given teachers? You don't need anyone to teach you. You have to understand the context because there were Gnostics that were coming in with a secret knowledge and trying to dissuade the people of the true doctrine. That's why in the third letter, John says, look, don't even receive these people if they come to your house with another doctrine. You don't need anyone to teach you. Amen. Does it make sense? So we have to understand the background to these statements, right? Because if we don't understand the background problems, it won't give context to those problems, right? And so, um, and now coming to a close, <coughs> let me just quickly, I'm not going to get to the passages, list why this is important. It's because it's a structure and it's a hierarchy that God gave. And this is something you probably know in your heart, but haven't, it hasn't been explained to you with words. Or maybe this is something that you didn't believe. It's like, I thought that, you know, it was basically, you know, a free-for-all, or I thought, you know, there wasn't a structure, but there is. And just as it was in the old, so there is now in the new. Okay? And the the let me just quickly explain what those duties are and so again i won't go to all the passages um but acts chapter 8 verse 17 through 18 and second timothy chapter 1 verse 6 through 7 the ministerial priest had the authority to impart the holy spirit now this is why paul says the gift that was given you through the laying on of my hands this is why in acts chapter 8 what, what did uh, um, uh, Peter and John do? Uh, look, 
when Philip the Evangelist had gone and preached to the people in Samaria, they had their demons cast out, they believed the gospel, <coughs> but Peter and John <coughs> came and imparted the Holy Ghost to them. And that's why the sorcerer said, Hey, give me this ability so that all the ones on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Ghost. And then Peter says, Your money perished with you, for you thought the gift of God can be purchased. But who imparted it to them? Apostle John and Apostle Peter. In 1 Timothy, or, you know, yeah, first, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, The gift of the Spirit that was given you through the laying on of my hands. Apostle Paul's a apostle. And then um, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, they have the authority to ordain. That's why he left Titus, says this, for this reason I have left you in Crete, so that you may ordain elders in every city. See, you know, whoever heard of the term God's hand is upon you? Right? I remember the first time I got prophesied over by this you know, mighty prophet, and it was a powerful encounter. It was the only... I only fell back twice in my life, and this was the first time. And I remember telling myself, I ain't going to fall back. I'm not gonna, I, I didn't believe in that. And then, boom, the power of God hit me, and it's just fire came over my whole body. But he prophesied over me. He said, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And he says, you're going to be a minister of his word. And, you know, he gave some other things, too. Um, but the hand of the Lord is represents ordinance. This is why in Daniel, the hand of God wrote an ordinance, right? Ordinance, ordination. The hand of God, when is laid upon someone, ordains them. This is why Paul instructed Timothy, don't lay hands suddenly on any man, right? Does that make sense? It's ordination. And that's why it says in 1 Peter Submit under the mighty hand of God. The Bible says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. It's the ministers who represent and function as the hand of God. Jesus says, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come among you. It's the exercising of authority and power. Does that make sense? Amen. So they have the, the authority to impart the Holy Ghost, to ordain uh, to baptize, Matthew chapter 28, 19. This is where, and the reason why I want you guys to get this is because we're hearing out there, you have to do these things. But, and I'm not going to call anybody to account. My question is this, how many people have you baptized? And it's probably zip, zero, nada. And so what does that mean? The vast majority of the church is disobedient. Which we know they're not though. Because that has been entrusted to the ministerial priest to do. Right? Because what that does then, that means the vast majority of Christians are guilty. They're disobedient. Right? You haven't made a single disciple. You haven't baptized anybody. Or you haven't done... Because the grace isn't on your life to do that. Does that make sense? Because it sounds good when we're, when we're, we're saying it to... When everybody accepts it, right? Like, hoorah, yeah, amen, let's go do it. But nobody ends up doing it, right? And so my point, my, I'm bringing this clarification so that we don't have an imposed guilt on us. Because I know there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that feel guilty all the time because they haven't done it. Does that make sense? Amen. 
And so, you know, if you have notes, those are the passages that I'm citing. Matthew 28, 19. Um, also, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20 is to distribute communion. Who did he tell that to? He says, you do this in remembrance of me. Who did he do that with? The 11. Of course, Judas Iscariot at this time already left and did what he did. But he told... Now, if you look up the Greek word, he says, he gave them the communion. He, it's, the, it's a Greek word that can mean offering. It's the same Greek word in the Greek Septuagint that is used when it denotes the offering of a sacrifice from a priest. So the, the communion is a sacrament. And I know that we're not familiar with those terms because we're just, it's not taught on, but it's true. It's, it's a sacrament. It's a holy thing of the Lord. And, and here's the last things. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, ex- excommunication from the church. And uh, point 6 is to preach and to teach. Okay, so now <clears throat> you might be wondering why exactly is all of this important? It's important for the same reason that, it, that, that children need to know that there's there's a there's a hierarchy in the home there's parents for the same reason that students need to know in public education that there's a role of teacher and student this is something that you know they drive into us you you know the, my my boss was saying that recently had an encounter where he had a student say 35 times i'm staff you are student i am staff you are student and repeat it and the student was getting frustrated because they want to blur those boundary lines. Right? Those lines are there for a reason. And it's not a matter of anything other than just obedience to the word of the Lord. Amen? And so it is my obligation to instruct you in these things before the Lord. It may not make for a good sermon, but at the end of the day, the Lord wants His Word preached and not the thoughts of men. Amen? And so, as we come, I've closed about five doors already, so this is the last door I closed. Um, As I close, for sure, for sure, I want to know if...